welcome you. Uh, if you're new or newer to New Life, my name is Chris. I get to be one of your pastors here at New Life. And I just want to say, uh, Merry Christmas. Merry almost Christmas. It seems like uh, it's kind of snuck up on us, but it is officially here now. We are in the month of December. Now, I know some people get a little bit weird if you say Merry Christmas before the 25th. I just want you to know this is a safe place and space. At New Life, we celebrate Christmas for a whole month. So in fact, what I want you to do right now is I want you to turn to somebody that's close to you and say, Merry Christmas. All right, you go. Merry Christmas. All right. Good job. Good job, guys. You guys just killed the 915 service. Well, well done. Well done. Well, now, now that we are all in the Christmas spirit, if you've been at New Life a little while, you know what that means here at New Life. That means it's Advent season, all right? Advent season. Now, I know technically on like the church liturgical calendars and stuff, that started last week, but we're non-denominational, so we do what we want. We're going to start it this week, right? You go tell the synod on me, all right? Go tell the local bishop, you know? So, uh, yeah, we're going to start it uh, this week instead of last week like many churches did. Now, if you come from a church tradition like I did that does not celebrate the Advent season, Maybe you can relate to this social media post that I came across uh, this past week on the screens for you. It's the first Sunday of Advent, or as Baptists call it, Sunday. <laughs> so if you have no idea what Advent is, uh, yeah, welcome Baptist uh, to the room. We're, we're glad that you're here. Um, so if you're not familiar with what Advent is, here, here's the scoop. Uh, the word Advent actually comes from a, a Latin word, Adventus, which means uh, coming or arrival. And so for many, many centuries now, the church uh, traditionally has set aside a few weeks leading up to Christmas so that we can anticipate or kind of ramp up the anticipation leading up to the birth of Christ. Now, uh, now in my, my home, we began that Christmas celebration, the anticipation, actually before Thanksgiving, all right? And I know that's a controversial thing, all right? So uh, just by a show of hands, how many of you start celebrating Christmas before Turkey Day? Just raise your hands. All right, small minority. How, how many of you wait until after Turkey Day to celebrate Christmas? Vast majority. That's okay, that's okay. My wife and I used to be in that second camp. We converted during COVID. We were so depressed. In July, we like put up the Christmas tree and it started, it started a new Christmas tradition. So pretty soon, we're just gonna celebrate all year, right? We're gonna be the rednecks that leave the lights up all year long and we're just going to roll with it. Uh, don't, don't judge us for that. But so we, we start before Thanksgiving now. We put up the tree, start the celebration. And I wanted to show you guys a few pictures of, of our, our time kind of celebrating or decorating for, as a family. So the first picture is uh, our front door there. So my wife did a great little job, nice and Christmassy, right, when you come in. And then there's a, the next picture is me almost dying trying to get Judah uh, to the top of the tree so he can he can put the uh, the star on and then there's a picture of, like the finished product like the living rooms all Christmassy and my dog Piper is looking at us like man what are y'all doing and um, and then one more picture is like our countdown Santa Claus thing right so like every single day our ten year old uh, Judah goes in there and he flips it over and he tells us every single day man we're down to twenty six days or we're down to twenty four days and there's this now why why does he do that why do our kids do that. It's because we're, we're building this sense of anticipation, aren't we, towards something really big and, and really great. And I think most of us, probably everybody in the room, even watching online, has, has experienced this feeling of anticipation, right? I remember uh, when, when Cheryl and my wife got pregnant all three times, uh, she was pregnant, there was nine months of buildup and anticipation. 
right? And so, so there's like this thought, man, like, is it going to be a boy? Is it going to be a girl? Is it going to have my brown eyes or her blue eyes? What is their, what's their personality going to be like? Man, I, I hope they have her looks and not my looks. And so like, there's just nine months of like build up and then finally, bam, they come and it's awesome and it's exciting. You also remember the day that Cheryl and I, our wedding day, the day that we got married. So we're actually celebrating our, our 19th wedding anniversary this week. And I know that's shocking to so many of you. Uh, yeah, thank you, thank you. Appl- applause for Cheryl for staying married to me for, for, for 19 years. Um, and again, that's, that's shocking that we're, we've been married almost two decades, but just know we got married when we were 11, so we started really young. And, um, but I remember that day, man, like it was yesterday, even though it was 19 years ago. And uh, if you've ever been married or you've been to a, a wedding ceremony, you kind of know the drill. You know, the, the, the groom kind of comes out from the side and he stands in the front. The whole crowd awkwardly looks at him, you know, standing there by himself while we wait on the bride to come. So I remember standing there in that moment and you're like, man, I'm about to see my wife. She's going to be in her wedding dress for the first time. And I was so excited. There's just a sense of anticipation, right? And then the music starts to play like crescendo and like angels descended from heaven and started singing. And then boom, the doors come open and there she is. There's my beautiful wife, right? And in that moment, my mind is just like flooded with all of these thoughts like, man, I'm so grateful that she's partially blind. So she said, yes, it's a miracle that she said yes. Like, and that's my wife. That's going to be God willing. That's going to be the mother of my future children. Like that's going to, that's going to be the woman who changes my diapers when I'm 91 and drooling in a corner. Like, praise God. Like there's just all this anticipation for this moment and it arrives and it's, it's awesome and it's beautiful. We've all experienced different things that kind of build that anticipation into our hearts and our lives. Now I would make an argument this morning that anticipation builds certain things into the human heart, the human psyche. And I would submit to you that one of the things that anticipation builds into our hearts and our souls is hope. It's hope. Like, it's not always great for us to get what we want right when we want it. If you're over, like, 25, you already know that. This whole idea of, of, of just instant gratification is actually not healthy for us. We're, we're designed to, to, to wait and to grow as we wait. And this idea of anticipation is actually something that's built into us, I think, by God to help produce hope in our lives. It's really, really important. And that's why it's, hope is the first theme of Advent season. So four themes, if you've never been here for Advent season, hope, peace, love, and joy. But it always begins with hope, and I think that's appropriate because hope matters, doesn't it? It's been said that uh, hope is to the soul what oxygen is to the body. I've said this before, like the the human body can live about 40 days without food, about four days without water, about four minutes without oxygen, but not a single moment without hope. Friend, we are hardwired for hope. That's why women love uh, Christmas Hallmark movies, right? I'm not going to ask you to raise your hand because I don't want to heap shame on you. But that's why, and look, I got women in my house. They love the thing too, right? Um, but, but I think that's one reason why women love Christmas Hallmark movies, right? It's because they're hopeful. And that's the reason that every man needs a man cave to escape the Christmas Hallmark movies during, during this season, right? The idea of hope is just baked into the fabric of our, our culture. You think about the arts. You think about music in our culture. You think about movies in our culture, right? Uh, for you Star Wars fans, what's, what's the first title of the first Star Wars film? A New Hope, right? 
when I was finishing up high school, a very popular movie, kind of a, a sappy chick flick, was Hope Floats, right, with, with Sandra Bullock. So if you're old you, like me, you probably remember that. About 10 years ago, there was another movie that came out with Meryl Streep and Tommy Lee Jones, Hope, Hope Springs. If you're into to music, like Pink Floyd, for those of you over 40, right? High Hopes by Pink Floyd. If you're a millennial, there's a song by the same name, High Hopes by Panic at the Disco, right? And you could just go, like I just Googled like movies and music with the word hope in, and just like hundreds, maybe thousands. It's just a part of who we are, right? The arts are saturated with the concept of hope. I would argue that's not an accident. Hope is innate to the human condition. In fact, I think you can look at the, the biblical story of humanity and, and kind of realize it's really a story of hope. Right, think about it, Genesis chapter 1, right? God creates everything that is. He creates the land and the sea and the animals and the birds and the plants and the trees and finally culminates his creation with human beings. And he says, it's good, it's good, it's good, right? And everything is awesome. It's blissful, right? There's this perfect harmony between human beings and their creator, perfect harmony with one another, perfect harmony with creation, nature around us, right? Like the whole creation is just brimming with hope in Genesis chapter 1 and 2. And then what happens by Genesis chapter 3? It only takes us two chapters to mess it all up, right? Our first parents, Adam and Eve, chose their way over God's way. They chose sin over following God. And with that, injected all kinds of chaos and suffering and death into the universe. Hope was lost in a sense. And then right in the ashes of the fall in Genesis chapter 3, in verse 15, we see God whisper a promise of hope. Right? And he says, hey, listen, I, one day, one day I'm going to send a descendant from the woman, a descendant from Eve. I'm going to raise him up, and he's going to crush the head of the serpent. I'm going to bring a savior. I'm going to restore hope, right? And so really, all of history, if you think about it, is a story of hope created, hope lost, and hope restored through the birth of the Messiah, promised all the way back in Genesis 3.15. Now, everyone in the room right now, everybody watching online, whether you realize it or not, you are hoping in something, right? Whether you're a Christian or an atheist, agnostic, Buddhist, whatever you are, you are hoping in something today. Now, some of you, if you're maybe a kid, if you're a teenager, you're hoping that you get that Christmas present that you really are longing for, man. You're hoping you get that iPhone 14, man, or that new iPad or that new popular brand of sneakers or whatever it is, and that's your hope. You're like, man, I just hope my parents love me enough to spend $500 and buy me something I don't really need, but I really want, and it's going to make me look cool in school and all that kind of stuff. Others of you have more, more significant hopes. You're hoping that your broken, busted up marriage, that there might still be hope, for your marriage in the new year as we head into the Christmas season. Others of you are hoping that a future relationship can maybe fix what is broken inside of you. So the thought is, man, if I can just find that right boyfriend, if I can just get the right girlfriend, then what is broken inside of me, what feels hopeless inside of me is gonna go away. Or maybe you're married and your marriage isn't what you hoped it would be. And the thought is, man, once we have kids, things are gonna change. If we could just have a kid, if we could just have children, maybe that will add like a, a level of happiness to our home and our family, and, and maybe that will fix everything for us. And others of you are hoping that you'll still be able to fit into your favorite Christmas outfit after you've been eating all the pecan pie and eggnog that you have for the last couple of weeks. Good luck with that. <laughs> the truth of the matter is we are all, we are all hanging our hope on something this morning. 
Now, I want to show you a picture of a famous landmark on, on the screens. How many of you know what this is? Anybody know what that is? Yeah, I think somebody said it. The, the Leaning Tower of Pisa. I did some research on this historical um, landmark in Italy, the kind of central Italy uh, this week. And in the 1100s, the people of Pisa, this town or city, decided they wanted to build a, a cathedral, right? So they drew up these amazing whimsical plans, and it was going to be stunning, and they hired the architect, and they contracted the builders, and, and they got going, they broke ground, and everything was going incredibly well until they got to the third floor of this thing. And when they got to the third floor, they realized that something was a bit off, that it was, it was actually leaning, and they realized horrifically that they had made a huge tactical error. The tactical error is they laid the foundation to this beautiful cathedral on very sandy, shelly soil underlaid by an underground water table. And so they had set the foundation, they had placed their hopes of this incredible cathedral on unstable ground. And as a result of that huge tactical error, they realized that the building began to lean one to two millimeters per year until they finally had to close it to the public because they were so concerned it was going to collapse with people either around it or inside of it. Now, Jesus told a very similar parable in Matthew's Gospel, chapter 7. You may remember it, right, where Jesus says, the one who hears my words and obeys them is like a man who builds his house on a solid rock. And when the wind blows and the rain comes and the floodwaters rise, that home will stand firm. It will not be shaken. And in that same parable, it goes on to say, but there's another kind of person, and he actually calls them the, a foolish person or foolish people. There's another kind of person, a foolish person, who builds that same house on sandy soil. And Jesus goes on to say, when that same wind blows and the same rain comes down and the same floodwaters rise up, that house is going to collapse. It's going to absolutely collapse. And what Jesus was saying, and what I think the Tower of Pisa illustrates so beautifully for us is this, and this is going to be our first truth on the screens for us this morning. Where you place your hope will define your life, friend. Where you place your hope will absolutely define your life. I'm just telling you, if you hope in the wrong thing, that your life is going to be a series of hollow achievements and disappointment and disillusionment, ultimately leading to a place of hopelessness. But, but if you put your hope in the solid rock of Jesus, though the winds come, the floodwaters rise, your foundation in life will be secure. Man, I've been so encouraged this past year just watching some of you walk through uh, the challenges of life. I just talked to a brother in our church uh, this past week who's been through uh, unimaginable suffering, and he's getting ready to step into another season of unimaginable suffering. And what he said to me this week on the phone was, Chris, listen, my, my mind is in the right place. I'm ready for this. And I just want to say to you, friend, listen, only Jesus provides that kind of foundation in the storms of life. So let me just encourage you, friend, hope in Jesus. If you haven't already placed your ultimate hope in him, I'm encouraging you to do that today. Now, let me show you why that's important. If you have a Bible, go ahead and go to Isaiah chapter 9. That's in your Old Testament, Isaiah chapter 9. 
Isaiah was an Old Testament prophet, in case you uh, didn't know that. Godly man lived around 750 years before the birth of Jesus, made all sorts of prophecies about the coming of Messiah with stunning accuracy, right? Unbelievable accuracy. Just a little historical context before we jump into chapter 9. At this point, Israel, the nation of Israel, was in shambles. So the nation, the kingdom, had been divided into two separate kingdoms. You had the northern kingdom, you had the southern kingdom called Judah. Judah was uh, led by a king named Ahaz, a wicked man. He became a king when he was young. His, his father was actually a very godly king. But he, came, he came to the throne when he was 20 years old. Immediately began to worship false gods. He built false idols for the people of Israel uh, to worship. History tells us he actually sacrificed one of his sons in a fire to appease these false gods. The people under his leadership turned away from God. They began to seek out mediums and magicians who would try to communicate uh, with the dead on their behalf. So, I mean, just like utter and complete darkness. And on top of all that moral corruption in the nation, there were two powerful kingdoms that surrounded Israel who were planning to invade them and destroy them. And so these people were a people that were mired in fear and in anxiety. These people were broken, they were desperate, they were looking for hope, but they were looking for hope. Listen, guys, they were looking for hope in all the wrong places. And I would argue not much has changed from the time of Isaiah all those years ago to our time today. Now, maybe you and I don't go to mediums and magicians to try to communicate with the dead. I don't know, maybe you do. I think most of us don't. Maybe we don't sacrifice our kids to some false god in, in fire or something like that, but we still search for hope in all of the wrong places, in places where it can never be found. And see, these people, 2,700 years ago, they were stumbling around in the darkness. They were looking for hope everywhere except for the one place it could be found, and it's into this really dark, hopeless context that the prophet Isaiah speaks these words 750 years before the birth of Jesus. So why don't you read them with me? This is Isaiah, starting in chapter 9, verse 2. Isaiah writes this. The people who walked in darkness, for all the reasons that we just talked about, it was a hopeless situation and time they lived in, the people who walked in darkness have seen a great light. So he's shifting now to talking about the time of the coming Messiah. The people who walked in darkness have now seen this great light. Those who dwelt in a land of deep darkness, on them has light shone. Verse 6, for to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government shall be upon his shoulder, and his name shall be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Now look at Isaiah chapter 7. Isaiah says this, therefore, the Lord himself will give you a sign. And behold, the virgin shall conceive and bear a son and shall call his name Emmanuel, which means God with us. And that's a beautiful promise, isn't it, this Christmas season? God with us. God with us in the darkness and the fire. God with us in the joy and the pain. A God who is for us, not against us. A God who will never leave or forsake his people. And what Isaiah is saying is this, right in the middle of this impossible situation of a crumbling nation, overwhelmed by darkness and pain and desperation on the brink of annihilation, light is coming into this darkness. Hopelessness is going to be shattered by the king of hope. Jesus is coming. That's what Isaiah was saying. Hope has dawned. And with Jesus, Isaiah is saying, nothing is going to be impossible with him. 
No darkness too deep, no weight too heavy, no pain too great. For unto us a child is born, a son is given, a savior revealed, a hope restored. This is the Christmas story. Now, I'm going to guess that the rub for some of you as you hear me say that is you can hear all of that and say, Chris, in theory, that sounds good. Like, man, that sounds great. People lived in darkness, and there's hope dawning, and all this kind of stuff. Like, that sounds kind of cool. Here's the problem for me. I feel none of that in my life. For me, the reality is I'm not experiencing anything that you're describing right now. For me, life just feels really dark right now and really heavy and really hopeless. And I know for a fact that's where some of you are right now. So let me just speak to that group for a moment. If you're in that group and you just have to admit, man, things seem really dark and really hopeless and really heavy in my life right now, I want to say just a, a couple of things to you. You probably know these, but these are probably helpful reminders. And these are important, so pay attention. Number one, I would say to you that your feelings are not reality. And you need to be reminded of that, and I need to be reminded of that. I think one of the greatest failures of our current cultural climate is that we have begun to equate our feelings with reality. And that's not true. The reality is this, guys. Sometimes I wake up and I feel like a billionaire athlete with a six-pack and a private yacht in the backyard. And then I get up, take off my shirt, and walk into the bathroom and look at myself in the mirror. And very, very quickly, reality destroys feelings very quickly. Your feelings are not reality. Neither are mine. Just because you don't feel something in the moment doesn't make it any less real. In fact, one of the distinguishing marks of Christians throughout the centuries has been that we build our lives on the reality of God's word and his promises, not fleeting feelings. So if you don't feel it, let me just remind you that your feelings are not reality. God's promises are reality. Pin your hopes there, not on your feelings. The second thing, let me just say this, is that this really is the beauty of the Christmas season, right? That we are invited to step out of darkness into light. And so let me say, if, if that's you, man, you're living under that canopy of darkness and hopelessness and heaviness, man, I, if you hear nothing else this morning, hear this. That is not God's desire for your life. I want you to know God has created you on purpose, with a purpose, and that he loves you, and that he longs to set you free so much so that he, he proved it by coming into our brokenness 2,000 years ago. By living a perfect, holy, sinless life that you should have lived and I should have lived, but we couldn't because we were sinners. And he died the death that you deserve and I deserve, but he rose again on the third day to offer you abundant life now and throughout eternity. Can't you see, friend? He is the light of the world. Jesus is hope personified. It is, it is Jesus or nothing for us, friend. And so if that's you this morning and you just have to be like, man, I'm just kind of cloud of darkness and anxiety and depression and man, I'm just not feeling the Christmas thing and you would have to admit, hey, listen, my life is not that picture perfect uh, Christmas Hallmark movie. Man, if there's darkness in your life right now, if there's sadness, if there's disappointment, if there's hopelessness, if you feel like waving the white flag or throwing in the towel, this next truth is for you on the screens. The light of Christ, listen, shines brightest in the deepest darkness. And many of you know that to be true because you've experienced it personally. 
the light of Christ shines brightest in the deepest darkness. Listen, friend, you can take that truth to the bank. You can carve it in stone. He is the same yesterday, today, and forevermore. He is the light of the world, the Savior who conquered darkness. He is the one who sets the slave free. I want you to listen to that uh, in Jesus' own words. This is John 12 on the screens for you. Jesus says this, I have come into the world as what? As light in a dark place. I've, I've, come, as, I've come as hope. I've come into the world as, as light so that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So that whoever believes in me may not remain in darkness. So here, here's what hope means for you if you're in Christ. Here's what hope could mean for you if you're not yet in Christ, but you decide to place your faith and your trust in him this Christmas season. So this is kind of truth number three, our last main point. Number three, hope means that your past is forgiven, that your present has purpose, and that your future is absolutely secure in Christ. Now, now here's what I know beyond a shadow of a doubt. Some of you are absolutely crippled by your past, and I know because I've been there. You are absolutely crippled by your past. Man, and you cannot move forward with what God has for you right now because you're too busy looking in the rearview mirror of your life. And you just can't believe that God would love someone like you or that God would forgive someone who's done the things that you've done. And so for you, man, you're just living like a slave. Slave to guilt, slave to shame, slave to regret. And I just, wanna, I just want you to know that if that's where you're at, I want you to know that you're living in a place that Jesus has already paid for. You're living in a place that Jesus has already paid for. I want you to watch this. This is the prophet Jeremiah in Lamentations 3. Uh, pro, uh, Jeremiah was known as the, the suffering prophet because of all the suffering uh, in his life. And this is, this is what he writes in Lamentations chapter 3 as he wrestles with a past of sorrow and pain and darkness, just like I know some of you are doing this morning. And, and then he says this, starting in verse 20. He says this, my soul continually remembers and it is bowed down within me. The idea there is there's so much weight, so much darkness that even his soul inside of him is being crushed as he thinks about his past. But then he shifts gears in verse 21. But this I call to mind and therefore I have hope. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every single morning. Great is your faithfulness, God. Verse 24, the Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in him. Regardless of my past, regardless of the pain, my hope hangs now and forever in the God of this universe who loves me, who's sending a Messiah to save me. And so that's a great reminder for some of you who are hung up on your past that God has paid for your past through Christ on the cross and the empty tomb. There are others of you who maybe that's not your struggle. Maybe you're not handicapped by your past, but there are others of you who feel like your present really has no purpose. And in fact, I would guess that's probably a lot of you. You're just like, man, I don't know what I'm doing in life. I'm just kind of existing to exist. And every day is kind of this grind. I get up and I go to school and I come home, I do my homework, I go to work, I come back, I eat dinner, I go to bed, I do kind of the same thing, but there's no real purpose to my life. I'm just existing to exist. And like, why, why would God use me anyway in any kind of meaningful way in his kingdom? 
And, and here's my observation. I, I would just say I think there are far too many Christians in the church today who live in a what I would call a future-only theology. And many of you grew up in churches like this that kind of preached a future-only theology. And here's what a future-only theology is. A future-only theology believes that all the good stuff for Christians is on the other side of death in heaven. Right, so if you're living with that kind of mindset, you're, the kind of the idea of a future-only uh, theology is like, hey, God saves us, like we, we believe in Jesus, but then we just kind of, our, our goal is to kind of withdraw from the world and suffer well and be miserable in life until Jesus comes back or we go to heaven. And then finally after death, finally when we get to heaven, then we get to enjoy the good stuff. So we just have to endure and be miserable and horrible people now until then. But what if I were to tell you all the good stuff can start now for the believer in Christ? That God has not only forgiven your past, he has not only promised you a future, but that right now, like today, in your life, in the present, present, you can experience his joy and his love and his peace and his purpose in an absolutely revolutionary way in your life. That not only is your past taken care of, not only is your present taken care of, but that in Christ, your future is absolutely secure. And the truth of the matter is there are so many people, even in the church today, I believe, that are living in fear, particularly the fear of death. I think the last couple years, if nothing else, have really exposed that fear, the fear of death. Now listen, if you're a Christian, I need you to hear this. Death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. Did you know that? If you're in Christ, death is not the worst thing that can happen to you. In fact, if you're in Christ, I would argue the worst thing that can happen for a Christian is to live a meaningless life. See, death for the follower of Christ just means a transition from living for Jesus in life to being with Jesus in eternity. That's why the Apostle Paul could say, for me to live is Christ, to die is actually gain. Listen to me. Christian, you have nothing to fear. Let's start living like it. You got nothing to fear. Your future is secure. I've heard it said, I think this is good, that the birth of Jesus is the death of fear. Isn't that good? The birth of Jesus is the death of fear, or at least it ought to be. Now that's real hope. That's lasting hope. That is a house built on rock instead of sand. Now I don't want you to just hear this from me. I know it can be easy at times maybe to, oh, this pastor is saying this because he's supposed to say it. He's a pastor. This is his job. I want you to hear it from one of my friends. So I'm going to invite Ray. Uh, where are you at, Ray? There she is. Come on up here. And I've asked Ray to share part of her story of hope with you this morning. Uh, Ray and I have known each other for a couple years now. She and her husband, Adam, their boys are a part of our community group. So I've had a chance to hear some of her story. I thought it would be helpful for you guys to hear it as well. Thank you. Hi, everyone. Um, it's truly an honor to stand before you and share um, all that the Lord has done in my life. And I feel as though I'm one of his miracles after all he has done for me and in me. Um, so I experienced hopelessness at a very young age. I was sexually abused as a child, and it shaped my identity. And I grew up with shame, believing I was unworthy, unlovable, um, and really felt isolated by this experience and what had happened to me. I was in so much emotional pain that I actually turned to drinking by the age of uh, 13 years old. And I know that I, now that I use substances as a way to escape reality and seek relief from that emotional pain. Um, and it actually worked for a long time, <laughs> uh, so much so that I really placed my hope in it. 
Uh, by the time I was in my early 20s, I was a daily drinker, and I became dependent on alcohol to function. I was in a cycle of addiction. Um, when I was 26 years old, you know, that's when I got sober, and the last six months prior to quitting drinking, it kind of turned its ugly head on me, and I realized that I couldn't go a day without it in my own strength. And every morning I woke up hungover and experienced so much shame and remorse, but the only relief I felt I could physically get from the anxiety was to pick up the next drink. Um, so the, the last night of my drinking, you know, that, that next day, I just remember looking in the mirror and not even recognizing myself. Um, I just couldn't stand who I became and regretted the hurt I caused people I loved in my life. And, you know, in that 13 years, from 13 years old to 26, I made a lot of decisions that I regretted and honestly should have died a lot of, a lot of times, a lot of nights. Um, I put myself in harm's way. And I remember looking in the mirror, not able to recognize who I was and just feeling all of that hurt and shame and getting on my knees for the first time and truly crying out to God and asking God, you know, in the despair of that moment, you know, I call it like the dark night of the soul, but asking him, God, do you exist? And I heard that yes. And it was kind of a surprise to me. <laughs> and so I said, okay, help me. And that was it. That was my prayer, was simply help me. And he helped me, like, immediately. It was, it was like he gave me the steps to take. I intuitively knew who to call and where to seek help. I um, mean, he just guided my footsteps in that moment by giving me specific instructions of what to do. So what I couldn't do in my own strength for months and, and had been trying to do on my own, he did for me with one prayer. Um, that was 10 years ago in October. And I have been sober ever since. You know, he's been faithful to keep me sober. And in the exploration of my faith in the God who changed my life with that prayer, I came to know Jesus Christ. Um, I came to know him through reading the word of God in my daily devotionals, and I was just hungry to know the God of the Bible. And he revealed himself to me before I even knew who he was. He interceded for me when I was at my lowest point of life, and I believe it's because I simply asked for his help. And in Psalm 34:17, it says, when the righteous cry for help, the Lord hears and delivers them out of all their troubles. So he was always available. I just needed to take that first step of faith to seek him and come to know him. And he has given me strength every single day to stay sober and do the next right thing. And my life has been forever changed by his grace. Um, God is deliverer, you know, he, he rescues us from danger. And sometimes um, that means he's just simply standing in the fire with us as we're going through things. You know, um, I wanted to mention that, you know, he didn't re remove that physical addiction to alcohol, but he did replace my desire to drink with a desire for him. And, um, you know, he is Emmanuel, he's God with us, and, you know, our hope um, means, you know, and what it means to me is that I can do all things through Christ who gives me strength. So he's, um, you know, he's a deliverer. Um, he also says, and, um, you know, and, and I actually, let me back up, I got baptized a year later in August of 2013, um, and that's really when I started following Jesus, and he started restoring my life. Um, he replaced all that was broken with beauty and purpose, um, and Jeremiah 29:11 says, for I know the plans I have for you, declared the Lord, prepare 
plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope in a future. Um, so not only did he replace my broken relationship with him and giving me restoration, but he actually, you know, repaired broken relationships with others and gave me restoration. Um, he set me free from bondage of addiction and shame, um, replaced my anxiety with peace, um, gave me purpose, blessed me with a beautiful family, a great business, um, and he's even given me the courage to start a ministry that I've called Worthy Girl, which is for other survivors of sexual abuse, um, to point them to the freedom and healing and hope found in Jesus. So um, God's love, grace, mercy, faithfulness is available to all of us. In Lamentations uh, 3.21, he says, yet, uh, it says, yet I still dare to hope when I remember this. The faithful love of the Lord never ends. His mercies never cease. You guys, no matter what choices you made in your past, he can give you a clean heart, a new mind, and restore all that was lost or taken from you. Thanks for letting me share. Yeah, yeah. thank you, Ray. Now, Ray's story is a beautiful story of hopelessness to hope through Christ. And I know that we could spend probably a couple of hours just with, with you guys coming up with story after story of similar things that you've seen God deliver you again and again and give you hope in hopeless situations. Now, in closing, let, let me just say, there, I think there's probably a group of people, you've probably heard this uh, statement before, there are two kinds of miserable people in the world, those who have gotten what they wanted and those who didn't, right? And so I'm guessing in, in a room this size that there are some of you who actually you've gotten what you wanted. Like that thing that you always dreamed for, that career, you got it. That boyfriend or girlfriend that you thought was going to fix everything broken inside of you, you got it. You got the spouse. You got the dream house with the white picket fence and the 2.3 kids. You got that thing you hoped would make you happy. And instead now, here's the deal, guys. Instead, you got it, but you're still hollow inside. And that can be a really scary place, can't it? And because of that, because you actually got the thing that you thought would make you happy and you're still hollow inside, you are probably, I'm guessing, teetering on the precipice of hopelessness today. And if that's you, I want you to know that's because, listen guys, Jesus is the one who was always supposed to be at the center of your life. He was always the one who was supposed to be at the center of your life. He is the firm foundation. He is the source, not a source. He is the source of everlasting hope. And I want you to know, if you're in that place, it's not too late to put your hope in the right source today. And so my, my challenge uh, for you is really, really twofold this, this morning. Number one, my challenge for you is to, to make sure that your hope is hanging in the right place this morning. To make sure that your hope is actually hanging in the right place. Now, I'm not, I'm not asking you, like, hey, what would you say if I were to come up to you after the service at the coffee bar and say, hey, where's your hope? Like, I know a lot of you, you've been in church your whole life. You got all the right answers. You could spit out the Bible verses. You could say, yeah, I know God. Yeah, Christmas is all about Jesus. Like, my hope is in Jesus. I'm not asking you, like, what would you articulate? I'm saying examine your heart and where is your hope actually hanging this morning? Because words are cheap. Like, what, what would your life say your hope, where your hope actually is? 
And I would say, if you would have to just be honest, and, and I think some of you probably would, would be in that place to say, hey, look, Chris, man, I, maybe I know some stuff about the gospel. Maybe I know some stuff about the Bible. Maybe I know some stuff about Jesus. But, I, man, I have never, I, I don't know what you're talking about. Like, I've never fully placed my, my, all of my hope and the weight of all of my trust and placed all of my allegiance in Jesus. And I would just say, if that's you, man, what, what a better time than the Christmas season to cross that threshold of faith and actually surrender your life for the very first time and really experience real hope lasting, just like our friend Ray talked about. The stuff that the world promised would give her hope failed her again and again and again, and it will fail you again and again and again. And until she hung her hope in the right place, she really had no hope. It was false hope. And so if you're in that place, and man, you're trying to find that hope in relationships or substances or material possessions or whatever it is, let me, let me just encourage you to stop the rat race today. Stop wasting your time. Stop wasting your life. Find your hope in the only one who can actually give you eternal, lasting hope. So make sure that your hope is in the right place this morning, friend. I beg you, make sure it's in the right place. And then the second challenge is this. If you would say, yes, my hope is there, bro. Like, like I love Jesus. I'm not perfect. I'm not sinless. But, man, I have pledged my allegiance to Jesus. Like, I, in my heart, I, I want to please him. I, like, I want to live for Jesus. I, I, I love him. If that's you, if you're a part of God's family, here's the encouragement. Here's the encouragement. Would you share that hope with someone else this Christmas season? Would you share it with somebody else? Don't, don't keep that for yourself. And maybe that looks like sharing your story with somebody just like Ray did right up here. And it doesn't even have to be in front of, you know, hundreds of people. It could be you asking a friend, a family member, a colleague, a classmate to have coffee with you or to have lunch with you. And just, you don't have to be weird about it. Just say, hey, look, I know we're all celebrating the Christmas season. I just want to share with you because I value your friendship. I value who you are in my life. I want to share with you why Christmas is important to me. And I want to share with you the difference that Christ has actually made in my life. And I don't know where you are with all that, but I just want you to know, I think, I think he, lo in fact, I know he loves you and he desires that same thing with you. And so if you're ready to talk about that, I'd love to talk with you more about that. Or maybe for you, you're not ready for that. You just, maybe, maybe for you, it's like, man, you grab a few of these Christmas Eve, Eve invite cards, right? And you just give them out to everybody you know. You got to give them to friends and colleagues and neighbors and maybe your barista at Starbucks or your server at your favorite restaurant and says, hey, come, come be with us on Christmas Eve Eve. And I promise you, they were going to hear the gospel of Jesus if they come here for the Christmas Eve Eve services, all right? So make sure that your hope is hanging in the right place. And if it is, just make a covenant with yourself right now that you're going to find that one person, those two people, that one family, those two families you're going to share that hope with. You're not going to keep it to yourself this Christmas season, all right? Let's pray, and then we're going to sing. Heavenly Father, we, we come to you, and uh, we are grateful that though this world, though life can seem really heavy, though it can feel really daunting and dark and feel oppressive at times as we look at the world around us and even the circumstances of our own lives, oftentimes, God, it can be difficult it can be heavy we thank you father that because you're a good god you were not content to leave us in darkness 
but that you came after us, that you didn't just send light into the world, that you came yourself, that you stepped off your throne in Christ and you came into this dark world to live for us, to die for us, to, to rise again, to offer us new life now and in eternity. God, we could never say thank you enough. And Father, I pray for the person here online, whatever the case may be, who would have to admit, man, my hope is in the wrong place. Man, like I know the right answers, but I'm telling you, my hope is in the wrong place. I've been hoping in money. I've been hoping in career. I've been hoping in relationships. I've been hoping in uh, my 401k. I've been hoping in all these other things, but I see today clearly that I have not placed my hope in the one place that will stand firm through the trials and the storms of life. And I pray for that person, Father, that they would have the courage to just open up their hearts to you and to say, God, I confess to you today that I'm a sinner, that I have not placed my hope in the right place. And so I want to turn from that, Father. Help me to turn from that. We call that repentance, to turn from our ways. God, help, help me to follow Jesus. Help me to place all of my hope, all of my faith, all of my trust in him. And help me to walk with him the best that I can all the days of my life. And Father, for the Christians, for the believers in the room, God, would we, would we be faithful to step out of our comfort zone this Christmas season? That we wouldn't just keep all of this great news about hope and joy and peace and love all to ourselves, God, but that would spill over into the lives of other people who are on the fringes of hopelessness. And those people are all around us every single day. They're in our neighborhoods. They're in our apartment complexes. They're in our college dorms. They're the people that we work with. They're the people that we go to school with. They're our aunts, our uncles, our cousins who are far from you. And yet, God, you desire to draw near to them, to give them hope in what is otherwise a very dark, hopeless life. God, would you help us? be that source of light to someone else. God, whether it's sharing our story of Christmas, of, of, of how you've changed our lives, whether that's hand, simply handing them an invite card to our Christmas Eve services, God, help us be a channel from you to the darkness of the world this Christmas season. We ask it all in the name of Jesus. Amen. Church family, would you stand with me? Let's sing.